We're going to continue this morning, though, uh, with Glorious Gospel. And for those of you who don't know, um, Barada, my name's Rachel. Uh, so I am married to Al. He's over in Tamworth uh, this weekend with his mum and dad. Um, and I just want to say, while I've got the opportunity up here, just a massive thank you for so many of you that keep asking, that keep sending messages of support and just asking um, how his dad is doing. He's, re- he's home now, recovering really well. Um, so I just want to thank you personally and from our perspective, just thank you community for the love you've shown us and for standing with us in this season. And I'm the mum to the gorgeous Caleb, who's probably bossed you around at some point to try and give you, uh, give him some brioche. Don't give in, avoid the temptation. So uh, it's great to be up here and sharing about glorious gospel. Um, So this morning, we get to continue this incredible story, this revolution that has changed so many lives and changed the world around us. The gospel is the reason that the abolition of slavery happened, the invention of hospitals, the civil rights movements. All of those came about because the gospel took hold of human beings' hearts, changed their lives, and they therefore changed the world around them. And what is that story? The story of the gospel is God's incredible rescue plan. We looked at it right at the beginning when we started this series. This incredible rescue plan that takes everything that has been ruined, everything that isn't working the way that it should, the way that everything is missing the mark in some way, and restoring it, restoring it back to its original purpose under the authority and reign of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The same story which we see in the Old Testament with the Jewish people, God's chosen people, Israel, which John unpacked a few weeks ago, where they were promised a Messiah. And they all thought it was going to be some strong, mighty kind of You know, when you think of the animal, we love to think, yeah, lion, Jesus, Messiah, come as this really strong, powerful, mighty warrior. And yet he came as a little meconium pooping baby. Through the body of a probably hormonal virgin teenager in the back alley of some dodgy stable. And the same story which involves this little baby growing up teaching masses of people, hanging out with 12 of the oddballs of society, persecuted and then sentenced to death. And not just some sort of easy death, but a bloody, humiliating, gruesome death on the cross and killed for no other reason than the authorities feeling threatened and undermined by what he was saying. This beautiful act of redemption by a Middle Eastern 30-year-old, probably bearded. And this Middle Eastern Jewish, probably bearded 30-year-old, who was also fully God. God incarnate. So if you've been following Jesus for a while, you're like, huh, weird. Incarnate, incarnation. What's she going on about that for? It's March. We only ever talk about incarnation at Christmas, don't we, when we talk about Jesus coming as a baby. And if you knew 
to Jesus or just kind of exploring faith, you're probably thinking, what the heck is incarnation? What is it? Well, BBC, GCSE Bite Size. Any of you preparing for your year 11 RE? I'm looking at you, Talia, okay? This is for you to get full marks in what is the incarnation. According to BBC Bite Size, it means made flesh. So it's the Christian belief that God became a man in the person of Jesus. So fully human and fully divine. I don't know if any of you guys have seen the film Avatar. It's quite old now. You know that cool film, they live on Pandora, There's, they've got like really cool blue glowing skin. And it's about this guy called Jake Sully. And he's a human being, he's been in the army, he's been in a terrible accident, so he's in a wheelchair. And yet, he can become a Navi creature. So those are those cool blue creatures that live on Pandora, Navi creature. And so he goes in this special machine, and he becomes one of those creatures. So he's still fully Jake Sully. So he still thinks like him, he still has this sense of humor, he still has his memories, his values, his experiences, but he's also fully Navi. So he can like do all the cool things that they can do, like attach themselves to those cool creatures and like jump around. So he's fully Navi, but fully human when he's in this machine. A bit like with Jesus, he's fully human, so he operates as a human, will have gone through puberty and everything like that, and yet fully God. Has anyone here got um, the Amazon Alexa? Yeah, I know a few of you. I find them really creepy, <laughs> but I think that's because I don't like someone in my house who knows more than me, and she knows a lot of stuff. Anyway, if you don't know what, how Alexa works, it's basically this cool thing you can set up and you can ask her to do all sorts of things. You can tell her to add stuff to your shopping list or to like put on music and loads of other stuff. She's really cool and she helps us with our life. Have you ever wondered what Alexa looks like? Yeah? Do you like, I don't know, for those of you who have Alexa, I don't know if you have an image of kind of what she looks like when you ask her things. I, I don't know why, I see her as like really smart, probably in like a quite clean cut suit, like quite glamorous, but quite businesslike in the way that she's quite to the point, isn't she? I imagine her quite tall as well, I don't really know why, and skinny, quite skinny. But anyway, probably you have like an image of Alexa when you say, Alexa, turn on Bethel worship music. We don't really know what she's like, what she'd wear, what she'd eat, how she'd act, how she'd walk. And although Alexa is cool and she's helpful and she knows a lot of stuff, she is nowhere near as cool or helpful with stuff as God. God is the light of the world, the good, good father, the maker of the universe. And he chose to give himself a human body to give himself a human form in the form of Jesus. Makes part of what we call the Trinity, that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the Bible, the book of John, this is the message translation, so this is John 1.14, says, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes. 
the one-of-a-kind glory, like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. And Colossians 2 verse 9, this is the NLT version, says, For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. So Jesus Christ was fully God, but fully human. He was an incarnation of God. So if you want to know what God is like, look at the life of Jesus. If we want to know what God cares about, we can look at what Jesus cared about. If you want to know the nature of God, then look at the nature of Jesus. Jesus helps us understand who God is and what he's like. Jesus is God. He is the word made flesh. He is God with skin. But was that the only reason? Just so that God can come and show us how we dress and act and wear. Why did he need a human avatar? Just so we could see his personality? Or worse, if God sent his son to die on a cross, was it just some weird, twisted act of child abuse just to make a point about how awful humans have become? But Jesus is God. He is the word made flesh. He is God with skin. So when Jesus died on the cross... That was God himself sacrificing on the cross. It was the greatest act of self-sacrifice by God in human form who goes by the name of Jesus. Because for God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. It wasn't just part of God that was in Jesus. It wasn't just part of God that lowered himself to be killed on a cross. It was fully God emptying himself. On the gruesome, cruel, and humiliating cross to display his love for you and me. But why? Seriously, why did he need to die? Why couldn't he just forgive us? Why all the blood? Why all the pain? Why all the death? When Caleb does something that is frustrating, you know, I say, I forgive you. There's no great self-sacrifice, right? I am going to stand out here in the pouring rain for five hours just to make a point, Caleb, that I forgive you for stealing another brioche. Is God just really dramatic? What, what, seriously, what was the need for this big thing on the cross? Why couldn't he just say, I forgive you? I'm going to read a passage. Again, it's from Colossians. It's up on the screen in English and Welsh, so follow with whichever is your heart language. But it's Paul writing, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, 
God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all of creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he's first in everything. For God, in all his fullness, was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. But again, God, why do we need to reconcile with all the drama? Why couldn't you just forgive us? Why couldn't you just say, I forgive you and make peace with everything in heaven and on earth? When we look at scripture, I don't know if you remember a few weeks ago, those of you here, we looked at our culture and how does culture help us read the Bible? And we live in this very consumer, individualistic, hedonistic culture, which says, do whatever you want, do whatever makes you happy. YOLO. So if there's a consequence, it doesn't matter if it makes you happy. There's no right and wrong anymore. Everything is subjective. You can justify everything with a great lawyer. We can blame everything on our upbringing, the government, the council. Looking at Dolan, he probably gets a lot of complaints. Everyone's life's problems is probably Dolan's fault and the council. Alcohol, drugs, the guy selling you drugs, your landlord, your boss your mental health, your physical health, the bank. There is always someone else to blame. So why do I need reconciling? Why couldn't me and God just be friends anyway? Why do I need forgiving? I'm not perfect, but I wouldn't say I'm evil. It's not one of those things like, oh yeah, I'm Rachel, I love going out for coffee, I'm a bit of an extrovert, I'm evil, you know. Hitler was evil, I'd quite happily put him in that category, and he needs Jesus' forgiveness. I'm happy with that. The terrorist, yep, evil, I'd happily label them with that. The child abuser, yeah, I would happily label them with a label of evil. But I am an okay human being. I am nice to my mother. I give to charity. I work hard. I help out with my neighbors when they need it. I love my kid. I love my husband. I try and be grateful for stuff. I am not an evil person. So why do I need Jesus to forgive me? Really? I feel like Paul knows exactly what goes through our mind. Even though this is thousands of years ago, I think he kind of knew what was going to happen and that we'd all become like this postmodern, everything's fine, you know, we're all just learning. And he goes on in that verse in Colossians with this. This includes you, 
who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, harsh, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. We often ask, why does God allow so much suffering in the world? And I think the real question is, how does a God who is 100% love, who is 100% just and 100% powerful, not just take one look at planet Earth, one look at humanity, one look at my heart, and just destroy us? Like, I'm serious. We are a mess, aren't we? I know, you know, we are getting cleverer and we just think with a bit more education or if the government sort themselves out, we are, you know, we are really rocking as humanity. But really what's just happening is we're just becoming cleverer, more sophisticated in ways to manipulate and kill each other. I may appear like a fairly nice person, but I'm a sinner. I thought what John shared a few weeks ago with that really helpful definition of what does sin actually mean, it means missing the mark. It just means missing the mark, not being perfection, not being the crowning jewel that God created humanity to be. And I lose my temper. I lose my temper with Caleb when he won't sit still when I'm trying to do his nappy and poo is flying everywhere. I miss the mark in my marriage. When me and Alan disagree, we could both be pretty passive-aggressive and try and manipulate each other to make us, the other one agree with the other. You're all looking at me as if you don't do that, so maybe it's just me and Alan, and maybe we're the only sinners in this community. <laughs> but we do. That's me missing the mark. That is me not giving myself in full unconditional sacrifice to Alan. You might not say it's evil, but it's missing the mark of perfection, which in God's eyes, who is 100% love, 100% just, 100% powerful, perfection, love himself, that's like evil in his eyes. So let's not kid ourselves that we don't need God. Let's not kid ourselves that we are perfection with all of our developments in society, with all the education we can have. Let's not kid ourselves that we don't get angry, that we don't think bad thoughts. There's a verse in Romans it's a really famous verse if you're a Christian, but I think often it doesn't really fit in our culture. Because it's Paul saying, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And we don't really like that 
particularly my generation, the millennials, who are like, we're entitled to everything. Like, just give everything a go in life. Experience everything. But the wages of sin, missing the mark, does something. There are consequences every time that we miss the mark. There's this great way that um, there's a Christian pastor in New York called Tim Keller. And he has this helpful phrase which says, Christ lived the life we should have lived. And Christ died the death we should have died. I miss the mark. I am not the crown jewel of creation that God created me to be. I'm always missing the mark. And yet God, who is love and just, decides not to give up on me and my stubbornness and my selfishness. God decides to put up with all of us by emptying himself on the cross, allowing us the freedom to live our lives whatever way we want, to believe whatever we want, but lowering himself and humbling himself so to death so that we can be compensated for. So why did Jesus have to die? Why did God have to bother with the incarnation? Why did he have to bother becoming fully human? Because although we don't like to admit it, we are all slaves to our own selfishness, our own stubbornness, our fearfulness, our anxiety, our pride. And our sin, our ability as humans to constantly miss the mark, doesn't lead to freedom. We pay a price for when we miss the mark. A few weeks ago, I was parking in, you know, Danielle N car park in Bangor. And I parked up, I paid my three pound, whatever rip off it is. And I made sure I was on time. I literally legged it from M&S to make sure I got there in time. Drove off, all fine. A week later, this was the source of one of mine and Alan's arguments. A week later, we get a letter saying that I have not paid this parking ticket and they are charging me £100. Which Alan's like, um, Rachel, what is this? And I'm like, looking at my receipt. Anyway, I had flipping typed in the wrong car registration, put half of my old car registration and half of the new. I know, what a plonker, right? And then it wanted me to pay £100 for this, even though I had paid for the car parking ticket and I was not late. So anyway, we send this groveling email with the picture of the receipt, you know, the ticket, saying, look, we've got half the car registration right. And graciously, Daniel and Carpark said, oh, you only have to pay 20 pounds. Cheers. But at least it's not 100. But when we miss the mark, even if it's just the tiniest bit of our car registration that we get wrong, there's a price to pay. You have to compensate in some way. That's why Jesus had to die. 
He gave his life as a ransom. So we don't have to. Ransom was what you had to pay in the olden days. If you wanted to free a slave, you had to pay a ransom for their life so that they could be free. Or you might have heard the word in like a kidnapping situation. Hopefully we've not been involved in many of those. But on films, you pay a ransom to free a hostage. And in Matthew 20, 25, 28, says, but Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant and whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. So I want to finish today by praying. And I'm going to invite the band to come up. And um, I, we're going to pray, and um, we're going to do communion together. Because I think, even though you may not have appreciated being called evil this morning, I think there is a truth there, that in our culture we... We struggle to put that label on us. But that's the reason God had to die. To make us blameless in his sight. A God that is pure love, pure justice, pure perfection. And so I think, are we singing, Oh Precious is Lovely? So if you just... um. I just want to encourage everybody to just put a hand on your heart. I'm going to pray. Dear Father God, I thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you that you are not a forceful, violent dictator. Thank you that your greatest power is your ability to humble yourself as a human being humiliated and tortured on the cross. Thank you that you lowered and emptied yourself of everything, that you made yourself meek and vulnerable so that we could be rescued. Thank you that you're a mighty lion of Judah that chose to become a lamb to be slaughtered so that we could live in freedom by adopting us into your family as the crowning jewel of creation when you made Adam you said he was very good you created us to reflect the image of your loving relationship between God, Son and Holy Spirit love, lover and beloved help us Lord to look past our own pride and self-sufficiency our fear and anxiety and humble ourselves to you to kneel down and admit we need you we're sorry for constantly missing the mark for failing to be the very good creation you planned for us to be and we choose to say no to be our Lord Oh, sorry, we say, choose to say no to our idols.
and the selfishness. And yes, to putting you in charge. For your love, justice and power to be our Lord. We give you consent to take our lives just as they are. And help us to be children of the light. Bringing light into our dark world. And we say yes to following King Jesus. And following his plan for our life. A plan of love, forgiveness and fruitfulness. Amen. So as we sing this, I just want to invite you to stand with me.